Hi, and welcome to Serial Sisters, a podcast where my sister and I tell each other true crime stories. I'm Devana. And I'm Kristen. And this week, Kristen has a story for me. All right, this is a long one. So, this is mostly, like, based off just internet talk. So there's only a couple actual, like, newspaper articles that I could find. Okay. So that's from, like, the Napa Valley Register, the Daily Republic, and the Colonel. And then it's just internet websites. There's a Tumblr website from the T-Blogger. There's Mm kumquatwriter.wordpress.com. And there's notadiamond.livejournal.com. Okay. So this is the murder of Brittany Quinn and the weirdest cult on the internet. Oh, I don't think I know this one. It doesn't ring a bell. Oh, dude, it's so fucking weird. Okay. Okay. We'll get into it. So, Brittany Michelle Quinn was born March 19th, 1984 in Vallejo, California. Okay. She was the oldest of nine children. Oh, wow. She was involved with a couple different churches, and she did a lot of outreach work with them, including a mission trip to Mexico, going to China to teach English, and going to Indonesia to help with relief efforts after the 2005 tsunami. Okay. She went to Napa Valley College, and she was a certified massage therapist, and she worked for a while as a caterer and as a tax preparer for H&R Block. So, she began dating a man named Jason Eisenberg... And according to police, they were common law married, which I don't know how long you have to be together for that. But I think it's something, what, like 10 years or something? It might be longer, but I think it's like 10. I think it has to be less than that, considering the timeline of all this. I guess maybe it's seven. I don't know. Seven. I don't know. In some states. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but they were common law married. So they owned two houses together, one in Sacramento that they had bought in 2007 and one in Fairfield, which is about an hour from San Francisco, that they had bought in 2008. Mm-hmm. She also worked for his website production company, Sky House Media, that he ran out of the house in Fairfield. So in June 2009, the two broke up. Brittany moved out of the house and she stayed with friends. Jason was trying to sell the houses, but him and Brittany were fighting about the money that was tied up in them. Mm-hmm. So in April of 2010... Brittany sent Jason emails demanding $195,000. She said that if he didn't give her the money, she would go to the police and tell them that he had committed grand theft and larceny, physical assault, sexual battery, kidnapped, and sexual assault. Okay. So Jason refused to pay the money, and he filed a report with the Fairfield Police for possible extortion. Brittany later filed reports with Fairfield, Napa, and Sacramento Police Departments, But Fairfield police deemed her reports of domestic violence not credible. So I'm not sure exactly when, but at some point in 2010, Jason sued Brittany over the houses. I assume it's just because he wanted to sell them and she was blocking all that. Mm -hmm. So then in November 2010, shortly before Thanksgiving, Brittany came to the Fairfield house and she moved back in where he was currently living. Okay. So, Jason tried to get a restraining order to get her to move back out, and included in the court records was an email that Jason had sent to Brittany's mom, saying, quote, I pray that the Lord's most terrible wrath be upon your daughter's head, end quote. Ooh, okay. It's kind of a dick move to send it to your ex's mom. Yeah. So, Brittany fought the restraining order, saying that if he kicked her out, she would be completely broke and homeless. 
She said she had been living in a tent for two months and she had been sleeping in a car in a friend's apartment complex in Sacramento before moving back into their house. Mm-hmm. So the judge didn't block Brittany from moving back into her house, but he did order her not to harass, annoy, or threaten Jason. Reasonable. Okay. Yeah. So she told the judge that she had arranged for a neutral third party, Andrew Blake, to reside peaceably with her as an independent witness to all the proceedings. Jason also had a friend living in the house with them, Anthony Chambers, and Anthony also helped take care of Jason's dad, who also lived there. Okay. So, in May 2011, Brittany countersued Jason about the houses. She said that he had forged documents while trying to sell the Sacramento house, and that he had lied and said he was the only one to put money into the Fairfield house. Mm. So he was served the countersuit on Friday, May 6, 2011. They fought about it that night, and Jason told Brittany that she'd be dead if she was still in the house by the time he woke up. Okay. She called the police about it, but no charges were filed. Here's the shitty part. Did the cops come at all? Did it? Sorry, did it say that? It didn't say if they came at all or anything. It just hmm. says she called them. They didn't file a report. Okay. So the next morning, Jason walked upstairs and into the bathroom, where he shot Brittany multiple times. Oh. His father heard the gunshots, and he ran across the street to the neighbor's house. Jason came out of the bathroom, and he shot Anthony Chambers in the head and chest. Oh. Andrew Blake was in his bedroom calling 911. Jason walked in and tried to shoot him, but the gun didn't fire. Andy said he heard it click three times. Jason walked out of the room, and Andy hurried up and, like, ran and locked the bedroom door, and he pushed a bunch of shit in front of it. Mm Mm-hmm. So Jason got the gun working and he shot at Andy through the door, but he only hit him in the foot. He then turned the gun on himself and took his own life. Oh, my God. Brittany was 27. Anthony was 41. Jason was 37. Holy shit. Yeah. So all this is incredibly tragic. But let's talk about Andrew Blake because his story is completely fucking bananas. Mm -hmm. So it spans literally decades And it's just fucking nuts. Okay. As one of his former followers says, the crazy train has no caboose, only more crazy. Hmm. So I'm honestly not even going into a lot of detail on this because there's just so fucking much. The T-Blogger has a timeline in a Google Doc that's public access. And Mm -hmm. it's 73 pages long. And it only goes to 2012. Holy shit. It was really fucking helpful, though, in writing all this. I bet. Okay. All right. So Andrew Blake was born Amy Player. It's not really relevant to the story overall, mm-hmm. but there's one person who was wronged by him in particular that consistently misgenders him and refers to him as Amy. Mm. It's shitty, but it comes up in the research, and some of his earlier shenanigans are under female names, so I'm bringing it up now. Okay. I'll go tell you the other names he goes by whenever it's relevant, but I'm mostly just going to stick with the name Andy, just so that... We can kind of keep sense of what the fuck is happening. Okay, perfect. So. So the earliest stuff he did was in 1998 when he first started getting involved in online fandoms. And he was like writing fan fiction and stuff like that. Okay, yeah. So there's some internet drama because he uses a couple different journals and claims to be other people. It's known as creating sock puppets because they're all one person pretending to be other people. Uh Uh-huh. So one of his sock puppets claims to have been sold into sexual slavery as a child. His descriptions of this are so accurate that it actually leads to his father being investigated by the police. Holy but they don't find shit. anything. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
So in January 2002, Andy creates the Bit of Earth Yahoo group, which is a fan group for Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. Okay. He emails the webmaster of Sean Astin's website to let him know about the group and to encourage him to join. Mm-hmm. At some point between February and April 2002, Andy starts talking to a woman who goes online under the name Orange Blossom, mm-hmm. and he reveals to her his channeling. Okay. So, Orange Blossom, her name is Abby. I think it's her real name. It's what she goes by on the internet. Okay. And she's written extensively about her side of the story, and you should definitely go read it all. It's Ooh, at okay. cumquatwriter.wordpress.com. Mm-hmm. or because that's just her general blog and it has everything if you just want to read the shit about what she went through with andy you should go mm-hmm. to kq crazy okay cool. and she's also on tumblr yay okay so the shorter version is that abby was pretty unhappy in her life and her marriage and she started getting into fandom for lord of the rings and, and escape mm. she found andy's writing they started talking and they became friends so this is where it gets more complicated because either Andy has pretty severe mental illness issues, which is his version, or he has some mental illness and severe manipulation issues, which is mm-hmm. Abby's version. Okay. Either way, get ready for some weird shit. Ooh, okay, I'm ready. Okay. So Andy convinces Abby that he's able to channel other people. He could channel pretty much anyone as long as they were also able to astral project or if they were inebriated. Okay. Also, those two are related cool well but if you're inebriated like your defenses are down or something i guess that's true okay and i guess that means he can channel your soul (laughs) your defenses are down okay he couldn't just do this with people on our planet according to him there are an infinite a number of realities all overlapping Mm kind of like string theory i think Uh and he can channel people from any of the other realities as well okay i thought string theory had been um debunked dude i have no idea i don't know sorry go ahead also this is back in the early 2000s so okay true Mm -hmm. so according to him tolkien could do this too and the the world that the hobbits are from is a real world (laughs) and he just channeled them and he wrote their stories (laughs) okay 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 so andy approaches sean astin in a 9-11 memorial and he asks him to participate in a community service project and he announces the Project Eleanor on the Bit of Earth website. And we'll get into that in a second. Okay. Very classy, though, going up to him at a 9-11 memorial. Well, I mean, how often is Sean Aston out in public? That's eh, true. It's probably the easiest way to get a hold of him. It's kind of creepy. I agree. It's, yeah. You probably should leave him alone, but whatever. Whatever. So in October, Andy moves in with Abby. Her marriage is falling apart and she's unemployed. And her house goes into foreclosure not too long after they also move in a few more people, including a teenage girl, although they have her mother's permission. It's still just weird. Mm-hmm. They call themselves the Bag Enders. I think Bag End was where the Hobbits lived. I have mm-hmm. no idea. So this is where Andy starts his cult in earnest. So he would take walks with them, like in small groups or one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And he would kind of like talk obliquely about what he could do until the other person would, you know, figure it out all on their own. Okay. So when he would channel someone else, he would talk differently, his mannerisms would change, and he fully behaved like another person. And then whenever he came back, whoever was there would have to tell him what happened. Hmm. So in November, he tells Abby that 
Amy has refused to return because you can only have one soul in a body at a time. And that basically, and Amy has ended her own life in spiritual form. Okay. So because his body needs the soul to work, it duplicates the last soul that was in it, which was Elijah Wood. Oh. So <laughs> he thinks that he's now the duplicate soul of Elijah Wood. Uh, okay, cool. So he now starts going by Jordan Wood, which I think Jordan is Elijah Woods' middle name. Oh, okay. He tells people outside the cult that he's Elijah Woods' cousin. Okay. Okay. So in April of 2003, I know, I know. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, no. <laughs> in April 2003, Project Eleanor happens in Beaverton, Oregon. Oh, okay. So Bit of Earth raises money to build a reading garden for children. So the night before they're set up to build the garden, they host a screening of the two towers with Sean Astin in attendance. And they also screen his short film before it. Okay. So Abby says that they've raised $3,000 and that all proceeds will go to Reading as Fundamental. The next day, Andy, Abby, Sean Astin, and other volunteers build the garden. So the problem was Andy wasn't truthful about pretty much anything. Uh-huh. He said that the design for the garden came from a retired gardener. Abby now says that the plans were from Andy, who was channeling the real Sam Ganji. Okay. Man, I might have to go find this because I drive to Beaverton all the time. Do you? Yeah. I, I think it's I think it's still set up. It's next to, I think it's now a Catholic bookstore. Okay, yeah. No, Beaverton but is like super close to me. I might have to find it. You should. Okay. Send me pictures. I'm curious. She says it actually turned out really nice. So. Okay. So Andy also said that a lot of things would be donated. But Abby says they ended up buying most of the plants full price on that day or afterwards. Mm -hmm. So they spent all of the money that was donated as well as some of their own personal money. Mm -hmm. So since they didn't have any experience, the project was poorly managed and there wasn't any money left to go to reading as fundamental. Mm -hmm. So they did build a garden, but unfortunately people tend to think of it as a scam since there oh. wasn't any money to donate. So Yeah, I can see that, right? Yeah. So after Project Eleanor... Bit of Earth tries to put on a music festival, which doesn't happen, and a film festival, which doesn't happen, which does happen, but it isn't anything like Andy said it would be. Hmm, okay. So he was like promised a whole bunch of celebrities and everything would be there. Didn't happen. They ended mm -hmm. up like playing some movies and they had a video recording of Sean Astin and that was it. Okay, so it's like the fire festival of like film festivals. He, you want to know more? Hold on. Okay. <laughs> so. After all that, they were also planning a much larger bull convention that they planned to call Tent Moot. Okay. I don't know what Tent Moot means, mm -hmm. but that's what they were planning on calling it. So in October, Andy sends a suicide letter to his parents saying that Amy is going to kill herself. Okay. Abby goes along with it because she's fully in the cult at this point and believes that Amy is dead already and has been replaced by Jordan. Uh-huh. So his parents naturally called the police. The police figured out that Jordan was Amy, and they started talking to his friends both in the cult and out. Mm -hmm. They told at least one friend that wasn't in the inner circle, Janine. I don't know if that's her real name or a fake name, but that's the name that's on the book she wrote. So we're going to go oh. with that. Okay. So they told Janine that Amy was Jordan's ex-girlfriend and that she must have decided to kill herself. Since Andy was an adult, there wasn't really anything that the police could do, so everyone went on with their lives. 
Okay. So, on the same day that Andy sent the letter, he, Abby, and their other housemates, Diamond, obviously not her real name, Little Sam, I don't think it's her real name, it's what she goes by on the internet, and she's the one who's a teenager. She's like 14 or 15. Oh my gosh, okay. And a couple of others who weren't in the inner circle moved to San Dimas, California. So, after everything with the police... Abby sent an email to AMD's parents and she CC'd Janine saying that Jordan was not Amy and that Amy was trying to steal Jordan's identity. Okay. Okay. So. That is so bonkers so far. Okay. I know. It's nuts. I'm honest to God just skimming over stuff too. You gotta read all this. It is so fucking weird. Okay. Oh my gosh. So even though he still had no experience and things hadn't gone very well with the last events he had planned, Andy was in charge of planning tent moot. So he handed out parts of the plan to other friends involved with Bit of Earth, but he kept the majority of it to himself. He said tickets were selling really well, he was talking to agents of various celebrities and getting appearances set up, and the Air New Zealand had donated airfare to get actors from New Zealand to Portland for the convention. Mm, Because Lord of the Rings shot in New Zealand, so. Mm -hmm, Yeah. So the convention is set to happen December 9, 2003, and that week everything falls apart. So Andy tells Abby that Air New Zealand has reneged on their deal because of increased tourism as a result of the Lord of the Rings movies. Okay. He tells her that there's plenty of money from ticket sales to cover airfare, but they need credit cards with enough of a balance to cover the cost to get the tickets. Which, why? Yeah, that doesn't make any sense at all, but okay. Okay, so... Janine offers her credit cards and she charges $15,000 in airfare to get four actors from New Zealand to Portland for the convention. Oh my gosh. Okay. So two of the housemates who aren't in the cult drive up to Portland to start getting everything ready for the convention. Janine starts to realize there's something fishy going on and she cancels the tickets. Unfortunately, three of the four actors have already checked in for their flight by the time she cancels the tickets, and they end up at LAX with no way to get to Portland or back to New Zealand. Oh, shit. Yeah. So when Janine cancels the tickets, Andy knew there was no way the convention was going to happen, and so he attempted suicide. Abby, Diamond, and Little Sam found him on the bathroom floor next to some puked up pills. He was rushed up to the hospital, he had his stomach pumped, and he was held for 48 hours. Damn, okay. Abby now believes this attempt to be fake, and that he Mm -hmm. was trying to get out of dealing with the fallout from tent moot falling apart. Right, sounds like it. So she says that he took NyQuil liquid caps, Advil, and multivitamins, and that all of them still had their shape in the vomit. Mm, okay. And that, like, he could vomit on cue, it was part of the channeling was... He was capable of just making himself vomit. Oh, that's gross. Okay. Yeah. That's a skill. I know. So Abby went and picked up the actors from LAX and took them to dinner with the little money that they had. One of the actors had relatives in LA and he spent the night with them. The other two went back to their apartment. So they had just moved there. They were pretty broke. So all they had in the apartment was a couch and mattresses on the floor in the bedrooms. They didn't have like bed frames or anything. Uh-huh. So the actors slept on... Yeah. The actors slept on the mattresses and everyone else slept in a pile in the rest of the apartment. Oh my gosh. So Janine didn't want the actors to use the return half of their tickets because she wouldn't be able to get a refund if they did. Mm -hmm. But they had come to U.S. for work that was now non-existent. So they used them to get home anyways. Uh Uh-huh. Because they were supposed to be getting paid to go to the convention and getting fees for autographs. All sorts of shit. Right. Yeah. How do you you expect them to do? Yeah. 
So they used the other half. They went home. So not long after this, little Sam's parents wise up and they take her the fuck home, which why? Why? What's wrong with her parents that they let a teenager go into all this? I know. Yeah. You're like, good for you. Yeah. So. (laughs) Okay. So on December 15th, Andy is arrested for identity theft, but charges are dropped when it becomes apparent that he's trying to change his identity, not steal someone else's. Mm, Okay. So Janine also went to the cops about all the money issues, but charges were never brought. Abby and Andy signed a voluntary agreement because they had run a raffle without the correct documentation and they had used reading as fundamentals name without a written agreement. Mm. So neither of them are allowed to solicit donations in the state of Oregon anymore. Okay. So after all this, Janine, who is still pissed, writes a book called When a Fan Hits the Shit about her side of the story. (laughs) Okay. I bought it because I first read about all this shit years ago. So I bought the book and I've read it. I just didn't reread it for this. So Uh if you want to borrow it, you can. Yeah, I know. You can borrow it if you want. However, Janine is the one who consistently misgenders him and calls Mm -hmm. him Amy throughout the entire book. So just be aware of that. It's shitty. Okay, yeah, that's good to know. Like, honest to God, the fact that he was assigned female at birth is the least interesting thing about all of this. Exactly, yeah. Like, I just hard, don't understand why. I know. They just it's the most that. normal thing about him because he's fucking nuts. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, my gosh. So. So, a lot of shit happens over 2004 and 2007, and you should definitely read what Abby and Diamond have written about it. Mm-hmm. But to sum it up... Because there's a lot and it's all fucking bananas. Jordan dies. Andy ends up with the duplicate soul of Orlando Bloom. Which okay. is how he ends up with the name Andy. Okay. So they lose the apartment and they move into a motel. Diamond gets kicked out by Andy. Andy and Abby work as costumed characters on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And okay. they survive on whatever tips they can get for taking pictures. Uh-huh. Andy has his name legally changed. And while all of this is going on, Andy is still channeling so many other characters and keeping his stories evolving. Abby estimates that there were 80 or so others that came through Andy. Oh my gosh, okay. Yeah. She said it was a lot. Seriously, go read it. It's fucking nuts. Oh my gosh, okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. So Andy starts to deteriorate more and more, and he's becoming more and more paranoid that government agencies are keeping an eye on him because he's Mm. special and he can channel. Mm-hmm. So they believe they'll lock him up for it. There's also a low level of paranoia among the characters on Hollywood Boulevard with rumors that the police are going to do random sweeps to remove any bad characters. Mm, okay, yeah. Apparently it was also illegal for a little bit, but then they made it legal again, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. So in February 2007, he decides that they need to get to Canada and claim political asylum. Okay. So Andy and Abby pack their three belongings pack their belongings into three suitcases and they tell everyone that they're moving to New York. So they fly to Buffalo and then they try to walk across the border to Canada. Hmm, smart. Okay. In February. Yeah. So understandably, the border agents don't believe that the government is after me, but they allow them to sleep on the floor of the office for the night. Oh, because they're Canadians. Yeah, they're nice. <laughs> and they're nice. <laughs> So Abby calls her mother for help, and it turns out that Abby's mom is a badass who's been preparing for this since Abby first started getting involved in the cult. Mm. So part of Andy's Andy's channeling included therapy for Abby that uncovered childhood trauma that she had. Of course. None of it was real. Uh 
uh-huh. and she had written all of this to her parents and she had cut off contact. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. So her mother found a therapist that specialized in deprogramming and folly ado and she had him on standby. So she flew out to Buffalo, took Andy to his parents, and she brought Abby home and took her straight to the fucking therapist. Oh, hallelujah. Yeah. So while Andy was with his parents, he started therapy as well. But by his own admission, he wasn't truthful with this therapist because he believed government agents were still after him. So it didn't Uh really help anything. He's still paranoid. Yeah. Yeah. But Abby's now married and she has a kid and she seems to be doing pretty well after all this. So good for her. Her mom is a badass. Yeah. Okay. So Andy lies low for a while. All that was just background for what we're getting into with Brittany, just so that you'll understand what the fuck it was he was doing. It's just nuts. Andy lies low for a while, living with his parents and going to therapy. So in April of 2008, he wrote a fan fiction called Dumbledore's Army Still Recruiting under the name Than Fiction in response to a challenge on the website The Quidditch Pitch. Mm -hmm. By June, he had expanded it to the 256,000 word story Dumbledore's Army in the Year of Darkness. That's fucking long. Yeah, that is a lot of work anymore. Yeah, Uh, it's a a fucking book. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't read it, but my understanding is that it's about what happens at Hogwarts during the trio seventh year. So like while they're out finding Horcruxes Mm. and while Neville's running Dumbledore's army me and trying to keep the students safe. So, okay. So there's a lot of fandom weirdness going on at this time. He's promoting his story a lot. But he's also making up a lot of stuff. So in various places online, he says that he has lightning bolt shaped scar on his forehead, just like Harry. Oh, my gosh. He now says that he's Irish. He fought in militias on both sides of the Troubles. Okay. He has a heart condition that will kill him in less than 10 years. Okay. And that D-A-Y-D is the first thing he's ever written. Okay. So other than the heart condition, all of this is very easily disproved. Right. But due to his magnetic personality, a lot of people believe him. That's crazy. I mean, if he starts call, gets all these people pulled in, he's obviously a very magnetic pe- person. Yeah. People clearly like, believe him. It's not like a lot of people are inclined to fact check these days anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So, on March 2nd, 2009, the DAYD-verse community was created. Members of commu- of the community call themselves the Dadians, is how I'm okay. guessing you say it. So when people start figuring out who he is and how none of his past fits with what he's saying, he says that he is a U.S.-born citizen, but he was raised by his Irish immigrant grandfather. So he now has an Irish accent that he says is real and that he hid it for years in order to fit in better. Oh, it's so convenient. Okay. He implies that he was raised to be sent to Ireland by his grandfather to settle a score with the IRA. Okay. So, in June, Andy tells the Dadians that he doesn't just write the story, but he experiences it. Mm. He feels the pain the characters feel. And then, this is a quote. Honestly, I've sometimes wondered if I'm hooking into past lives or ghosts or on some psychic plane, and my conscious brain can only interpret it by plugging into a pre-existent matrix of a fantasy world. What the fuck does that so, even mean? It's just more of the channeling bullshit. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's just a lot of nonsense. 
So he makes a thread for the Dadians to ask questions of, to the characters in the story. And at one point, when he's pretending to be Luna, she says that they're not talking to Andy at all. Like he's writing as saying, oh, no, I'm definitely I'm fully Luna. Mm-hmm. There's no Andy here. I'm oh, Luna. No. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So on August 24th, Andy proposes the idea of a DAYD convention for everyone to go to. So starting sometime in that fall, Andy and many of the Dadians maintain a live journal chat and later a Skype chat as well that they call the room of requirement. Mm -hmm. So in the chat, Andy enlightens the Dadians about his ability to channel and channels various people from the Harry Potter universe for them to talk to. Oh my gosh. Okay. He also says a lot of wild shit about his own life that I'm just not even going to get into. (laughs) It's just, it's nuts. Like, I love Harry Potter, too. I fucking wish it was real. Yeah, me too, but I'm not going to pretend that I'm channeling Harry Potter. Oh my god, no. Okay. (laughs) Oh, shit. So, while all of this is going on, he's also writing and posting the sequel to D-A-Y-D called Slaw? S-L-A-U-G-H. Okay. I don't know. So, again, I haven't read it, but from what I understand, it's very graphically violent and has actually made people physically ill while reading it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, on December 10th, Abby anonymously lets Janine know that Andy is in the Harry Potter fandom so that maybe Janine can let the Dadians know what's going on and who the fuck this guy is. Yeah, uh uh-huh. So. On December 18th through the 21st is when... DAYD con happens in Washington, D.C. Activities include watching Andy draw, talking for hours, <laughs> making stew in water glasses and hotel ice buckets, having a massive snowball fight, watching the Fellowship of the Ring, okay. DAYD readings, photo sessions, and casting each of the con attendees as characters in the fan fiction. Hmm, okay. Okay. So, I know. <laughs> I know. If you're having fun, really, what does it For matter? Sure. Do what you want. <laughs> and besides, at least this one actually happened on, like, Tent Moot. Right, yeah. So, after the convention, part of the group goes to upstate New York for a day or so, and then they travel cross-country to California. They arrive on December 24th, which means they would have had to have been traveling pretty much nonstop. Mm-hmm. And then Andy stays for a while with Brittany Quinn. Mm. So... Brittany and Jason had already been broken up for about six months at this point. So Uh while he's staying with Brittany, there's some stuff about an evil undead shaman wizard trying to attack a Dadian and her kids. It's just fucking nice. Okay. I don't even know what to say to that, but okay. So the Dadian who's supposedly under attack wasn't even online during this whole thing. And she had no idea what was happening. But Andy and Brittany were talking to other Dadians and trying to get them to help fight off this evil undead shaman wizard. Okay. So, it's just a little side story. It has nothing to do with anything. It's just bonkers. You're just like, oh, oh, all right, yeah. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, on January 15th, 2010, Andy has left California and says that he's stepping back from the DAYD verse due to shit coming down on him between Janine's posts and the wizard battle. Because there were a lot of people that were like, no! So. Uh-huh. 
However, he still participates in the room of requirement chats, and he still posts fic and art in the DAYD community. Mm-hmm. In the spring, he flies out to California to visit Brittany again, and he misses his return flight. He doesn't book another flight, and he and Brittany live in Sacramento until September. Okay. So, in September, Brittany, Andy, and another Dadian, we'll call him Ernie, went on a two-month hike from Santa Rosa to Vancouver, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. So, during this time, Annie channeled a lot, and Brittany seemed to completely believe it. Ernie said she would even support the things that Andy had said while he was channeling, even when he wasn't there. Hmm. Okay. So, it seems like she's gotten fully pulled in like Abby yeah, did. that's sad. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So, after they get back from their hike, Andy and Brittany alternate between couch surfing and sleeping in their car. Mm-hmm. And then in November, they move back into Jason Eisenberg's house. Okay. Jason and his father live downstairs. Brittany and Andy live upstairs. And then not long after, Jason moves Anthony Chambers into the other upstairs bedroom. Mm-hmm. So, on March 11th, 2011, Andy announces their plan to do a hike in New Zealand in June. So, on March 19th, Brittany publishes a note on Facebook accusing her father of abuse and neglect, and she severs all contact with him. Oh, okay. Oh, that's so sad. So, a few years later, Abby didn't ask me anything on her live journal, and someone asked her about the note. And she said, quote, Oh, that letter is so disturbing. It's Andy all over it. So much of it is just like what I wrote to my mother under his direction slash coaching. That's so gross. I know. It's awful. So over the next couple months, they keep planning the hike to New Zealand. And then on May 7th, Jason murders Brittany and Anthony before turning the gun on himself. Jesus. So at first, Andy is still planning on doing the hike in New Zealand in Brittany's honor. But the plans start to fall apart. So he instead decides to do a hike along the Trail of Tears. Which seems insensitive to Native Americans, but... Yeah, it, yeah, that definitely doesn't feel right. Like, if you want to do a hike in her honor, I totally get that. That's what she loved. You do oh, that. but for sure. Maybe pick something different than where oh, yeah. so many Native Americans suffered horrifically to do a <laughs> hike in the honor of a white woman. Yeah, there are so many other places to go. Just pick Uh-huh. One. Yeah. So he suggested everyone make donations to domestic violence organizations if they want to support the hike. Mm -hmm. So on July 15th, Andy, Ernie, and another Dadian that we'll call Carly head out on the hike. So this is some of the things that Ernie and Carly say happened on the hike. So much of the route, which Andy had planned, involves construction zones, roads with no shoulder, and generally unsafe terrain. Of course. What do you expect at this point? I know. They have many close calls with large trucks. They often do not have sufficient food or water for the energy they're expending on walking a minimum of 20 miles a day. Oh my god, no thank you. The hike takes place at the heat of summer and the heat and humidity are extreme. At times, Andy will not allow the group to stop when one of them needs medical attention. Sometimes they receive help from actual medical personnel that they meet along the way, and sometimes Andy channels a doctor that makes a potentially dangerous treatment that doesn't work, because you can't Christ. channel a doctor. No. <laughs> Conversely, when Andy doesn't feel like walking, he fabricates injuries and illness, 
illnesses, mostly affecting Ernie, that require them to stop. Mm. Andy draws Ernie and Carly into many long conversations about their past, their families, their beliefs, their dreams, their psychological issues, which are diagnosed by Andy. Of course. How to make their lives matter and so forth. So ultimately, he manipulates Carly into writing letters to her family that include false accusations of abuse and commentary on their relationships as part of her process of growing out of being a perpetual 12 year old, in his words, and a middle class prisoner princess oh that's nice okay yeah this fits the pattern that andy established with abby and Brittany. Mm-hmm. ernie loses 60 pounds over the two months that they hike holy shit and carly has lingering lingering health issues for years so they finish the hike on september 9th and ernie and carly actually get married in vegas on september 12th huh and they get the fuck away from Andy, obviously, since if they were still like, under his spell, they wouldn't have said all this bad shit about it. So. Yeah, there's like, uh, fuck you. Uh-huh. As far as I know, they're still together. That's sweet. Okay. So that was really pretty much the end of what I was going to talk about, because that's the last of Brittany. I'll do a little bit of summarizing up here at the end, but mm. there's just so much, honest that to God. crazy. Oh we're 40 gosh. minutes in at this point already, yeah, so. what the fuck? So at some point he moves back into his with his parents and he gets back into therapy. He made a post in the DAYD community on June 28th, 2014, admitting to the channeling and apologizing to everyone that he's hurt. Oh, that's so nice of you. So Brittany, people also say that he used Brittany's memory in really exploitative ways, even including the hike. And there's just mm-hmm. a whole bunch more shit if you want to read into that's it. So fucked up. So basically his friends now say that he's in therapy and he's better and that all of the old shit is far behind him and none of the people who accuse him of shit interact with him anymore so they wouldn't know whether he's better or not. Hmm. But all the people who were friends with him before say that his behavior online hasn't changed at all and that his new friends are too sucked into his personality to see what's happening and that they know all this because they went through it all. So Exactly, right? Like, yeah, a tiger doesn't change its stripes. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. That's crazy. So yeah, that's it. I couldn't do anymore. I researched this off and on for an entire week. Oh my gosh. There's con- so much. If there's such a convenient story to be like, oh, well, I'm changed now. Yeah, I know. It's just like when you've set that pattern for years and years. Oh my uh-huh. gosh. There's like some drama from 2018 too. Huh. Like is re- that recently of him that's- being really weird with some people. and hmm. Yeah, his like perpetuation towards doing the conventions and stuff like that is so weird i know weird. he uh, just yeah he constantly he wants to have people that stop. he just pulls in yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's crazy that was a good one i know oh, I it's just fucking nuts well no it's the sort of thing that unless you're in the right part of the internet you're never gonna hear about it no yeah because it's so fucking weird like amen for internet holes yeah oh so yeah that's that, it that was really good Good. I'm glad you liked it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm going to have to do some reading. Yeah, you definitely should. It's so <laughs> fucking nuts. That's crazy. Thanks for listening. You can email us at serialsisters at outlook.com or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at serialsisters. Bye. <laughs>